Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Thursday, March the 15th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it is day two of free agency, and the Dolphins continue a very busy player acquisition period. We'll get you up to date on who's sticking around, who's coming in, and all the details of every single one of those deals. And what do these early moves mean for the direction of the organization? We'll cover all of that and talk about other potential fills for the remaining holes on the roster. And my seven-round mock draft is up to date via Draft Tech Rankings Big Board. But before any of that, you guys know the drill by now. I have to remind you to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. Give me a follow on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. And check out the number one rated blog on the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. My Albert Wilson piece is up live right now. A piece about Ryan Tannehill's restructure. Spoiler alert. And be sure to give Jason Harina a follow on Twitter. He is at MiamiDPunks, P-U-N-X. He has been pumping out the news stories like crazy the last couple of days. He is carrying the site from a news perspective. So big thanks to Jason for doing that on LockedOnDolphins.com. And last but not least, check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And guys, I have to apologize once again for my... Lack of voice or energy. I promise my energy is here. My voice and my wellness is just not cooperating. I am fighting a bad cold or sore throat, whatever you want to call it. I was actually home from work today, so that's why I was so active on Twitter, giving you guys pictures of the updated color-coordinated board, all that good stuff. But I'm going to soldier on go through. This is a very big episode for us here. Lots of news to get to. So let's go ahead and get to first down on Locked On Dolphins podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins So several more moves come across the board on Wednesday as the Dolphins are hot out of the gate, restructuring this team and restructuring some players, in fact. Let's go ahead and start off with a rundown of the new names and their price points. Or Actually, let's go ahead and start with the departures first. Let's talk about the guys that have left town. By now, we all know about Jarvis Landry. Turns out he wanted $50 million guaranteed. Sounds like Miami was about halfway there on him at that price point. So that kind of tells you why... The negotiations were so far off and why the team and, and the player were so far apart on that. And Dominican Sue is gone, and that one hurts the most to me. I, th- I think you can definitely make up for Jarvis Landry's production, uh, the little bit that he had there last year. But Dominican Sue leaving, that's going to be a hard one to fill. He is a dominant player at his position, eats up double teams, just a fantastic player, all-pro, Hall of Fame type of guy. But at the same time, other guys accepted restructures, and it sounds like the Dolphins asked Indama Sue for a restructure, and he basically told them to go F themselves. So as far as I'm concerned, good riddance, and it kind of confirms reports that he might be kind of a selfish guy in terms of not fitting in with the type of culture they want to create and the team atmosphere they want to create in Miami. So he's out the door. Cody Parkey, another good player, even though he's a kicker. We don't talk about that much on the show. He got a nice payday from the Chicago Bears out in the Midwest as the Bears continue their rebuild in Chicago. And, uh, you you know, you can't blame him for taking the money there, but it kind of sucks the Dolphins couldn't bring him back 
I'm also going to miss the fact that the Palm Beach Post guys, Joe Shad and crew, they loved him so much because he's a Jupiter local from Jupiter, Florida. So he's gone now to Chicago. And then obviously Julius Thomas and Lawrence Timmons were officially released now, but my cat could have told you that was coming. So no big news there. Those guys have not found teams, and neither has Ndamukong and Sue yet. You know, Landry's in Cleveland, and then Cody Parkey's in Chicago. And let's get into the new blood now and talk about some of these new players coming in and go to, go over the rundown here talking about these new guys. Robert Quinn, you guys all knew about him a couple of weeks ago. He was traded from the Los Angeles Rams for some draft pick compensation. He's making $11.5 million this year, and the Dolphins would not accrue any penalties to get out of that contract, which runs through 2019. So he is basically on a one-year audition to get a contract extension for the Miami Dolphins. That's kind of the way I see it. Looks like they're kind of clearing the deck today to make some more money, freeing up themselves with the, with the Indominus and Sue cut to maybe give some guys some new contracts. You have Bobby McCain coming up next year. That's going to be the top priority. You have Robert Quinn at the end of next year coming up. I want to get him extended before he gets to that part of the contract. And then also you have Jordan Phillips and possibly Devontae Parker with some of those guys that are going to have to prove themselves some more. But that kind of gives you an idea where they're going with that. And then Albert Wilson is here on a three-year, $24 million deal. The guaranteed money is not known, which is kind of strange because he was the first one announced and the other one other contracts guarantees have been announced so Albert Wilson averaging eight million dollars per year to kind of help fulfill Jarvis Landry's absent role and if you guys go to LockedOnDolphins.com, the Albert Wilson receptions chart is up. I went through each catch he made in 2017 and detailed where he was pre-snap, post-snap, where the catch was, broken tackles, all that stuff you guys already know about on LockedOnDolphins.com. So he's here and also joining him in the wide receiver room, Danny Amendola. He got a two-year, $12 million deal with eight and a quarter million guaranteed. So $8.25 million guaranteed in that contract. That's a really cheap, good value contract. I talked about it on the show yesterday. He's obviously a very professional type of player, a guy that's going to come in and and give you a winning championship type of uh, professional as well as player. And obviously his playoff production over the years has been phenomenal too. We got to get there first before he can get back and doing what he does best in the playoffs. But a very good contract and a very good deal for a player that has been pretty good for a long time for the New England Patriots. Up next, William Hayes has re-signed a one-year deal, kind of coming back to the two-year deal he had coming into Miami last year before the Dolphins vacated that last year of the deal. But he gets back on a one-year deal. The details of that are not yet known. Walt Aikens is back as a special teams ace and what he has been for the Dolphins over the first four years of his career he's back on a two-year 2.7 million dollar deal with 800,000 guaranteed so good for him to kind of get his family taken care of on that front and, and a guy that you can really put faith in that he's going to be a guy that shows up and does the right thing every day he might not be the best player in terms of defense we've obviously seen that not work out for him but a big time special teams guy and worth that contract and then the big news of the night not quite official yet. It is 9 o'clock out here on the West Coast as I record this episode. But the big news is that Josh Sitton is in Miami. He's visiting with the Dolphins tomorrow. Sounds like he had dinner with some folks tonight in Miami. Maybe some of the players on the team. Who knows what was what was the details of that dinner. But Josh Sitton is in Miami meeting with the Dolphins today as you guys listen to this episode of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Sounds like he's looking for something in the ballpark between 6 and $8 million a year a bargain for a left guard in terms of what some of the contracts have been so far. Weston Richburg got five years for $9 million a year with the San Francisco 49ers, the Giants' former center. And then the tackle, Nate Solar, goes to New York. He gets a big deal from the Giants. I know it's a tackle, different position, but he gets a massive contract, five for 62. So if Josh Sitton can get something like two or three years for $23, $24 million, something like that, that's something you want to definitely lock in and give Ryan Tannehill a fantastic offensive line for the first time in his entire career. And then some guys restructured their contracts and freed up a lot of money for the Miami Dolphins. First was Rashad Jones. He got a restructure done. The details in that 
According to a tweet from Field Yates at Field Yates on Twitter, says Rashad Jones creates $6.6 million in cap, skip, cap space. Jones drops his base salary from $9.375 million to $9,700,000 while also getting a $4.05 million signing bonus. He will still collect the same amount of money in the end, just helps the team now with more money. So he frees up some money in the long term. And you kind of see the influence that Rashad Jones has in terms of what the Dolphins do him as a player. Sounds like he might actually finish his career in Miami with how long this contract expects to keep him in Miami. And he actually had a picture on Instagram of him and Steven Ross shaking hands. And you can see there's a real connection there between those two guys. And it kind of reiterates the purpose of the idea to build around a good culture and a good program here. They had a tweet or a, a quote on that Instagram post saying success breeds success. So I think there's a lot of respect there between those two men, a lot of mutual respect. And speaking of restructuring contracts. That's an old Josh Beckett-like fastball there from Tannehill. For those of you that are hoping for a quarterback in the first round or Baker Mayfield, you might want to cover your ears right now. The Dolphins have restructured Ryan Tannehill's contract. Instead of a $17.475 million base, he gets a $16.7 million signing bonus up front, and the base goes to a minimum contract for 2018, and the Dolphins roll back some of his cap hit into 2019, meaning the contract. Basically, the language of it boils down to this. is that The Dolphins, if they want to get out of the contract from Ryan Tannehill, they're going to have to wait until 2020 to do it. So they are putting all their faith in the quarterback back that has been here for six years now with the Miami Dolphins coming back off the knee injury they see how much of a impact his loss was last year they put the pieces in place around him Adam Gaze has been talking about it all along there's a piece on LockedOnDolphins.com right now called Ryan Tannehill the present and the future and the reason it's titled that is because the Dolphins see him as their answer he is going to be 30 years old when the season starts this year he is a quarterback that was ascending at the last time he had played in 2016 a 7-1 quarterback in his last eight games a passer rating over 100 so the Dolphins building this team around Ryan Tannehill building around his strengths, getting him some slot receivers where he really, really excels, throwing in between the numbers there to those guys in Danny Amendola and Albert Wilson, building a stout offensive line in terms of pass protection to protect Ryan Tannehill and that knee, getting him back to full health and getting him playing at that high level he was playing in 2016 when he was 8-5 and five as a starter and playing his best ball of his career. So he is back, the restructure, he is the future and the present for the Miami Dolphins. So the whole entire offseason built around the concept that Ryan Tannehill is the guy. They've talked about it all offseason. Adam Gase has in his press conferences. It comes to fruition here on March the 14th as I'm recording this podcast. And the culture theme, it seems to be actually something they're they're not lying about. It seems like that's kind of what they're going towards. And we still have a mock draft to get to in this episode. And one player that could really, really drive home the culture theme, as well as what that means for the Dolphins in 2018. Kind of Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. So for the first time, what seems like forever, provided that Josh Sitton does sign his contract with the Dolphins, which sounds like they're going to lock him in the building and not let him leave until the ink is dry on that deal. Sounds like the Dolphins are going to have the best offensive line they've ever had around Ryan Tannehill. Possibly 2012 was better, but the receiving cast that year was so bad that I think it kind of washes itself out in terms of overall effectiveness. So Josh Sitton comes in, going to be the best left guard the Dolphins have had since Jamie Nails back in 2002, paving the way for Ricky Williams' 1,853-yard rushing season. But this also gives Miami tons of depth on the offensive line. They made it a deal to bring back Jake Brendel, the backup center to Mike Pouncey last year, has some experience, another good depth guy. And speaking of depth, sounds like their interior sixth man off the bench, so to speak, is going to be Ted Larson, who is a formidable backup center and a guard for that matter. And his best tape came from when he was a center back of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, courtesy of tape posted by CK Parrott on Twitter, at CK Parrott, Chris Coffin, that is, of course. So he is a a sixth man off the bench in the offensive line. Sounds like they want to bring back Sam Young to be the swing tackle once again to back up Laramie Tunzel and Juwan James. So this offensive line is looking pretty damn good at this point. 
in addition to having a more balanced passing attack on offense. So you get the 2016 offense back with an atmospheric size improvement at the quarterback position, a better offensive line, in my opinion, better wide receivers, simply because you're going to have 161 targets to replace. And you can do that with a variety of Jakeem Grant, with Albert Wilson, Danny Amendola. You can feature J- Kenyon Drake in the passing game more this year. We'll see what happens at tight end, possibly getting more reps to those guys to make up for Julius Thomas' slack that was, let's put it that way, slacking last year. And it just seems like the Dolphins have more of an opportunity to kind of run what Adam Gaze wants to run. He's not going to be beholden to running the outside zone with J.H.I. We talked about it on the podcast yesterday. He's not going to be beholden to running more passes to Jarvis Landry, 10 targets per game to Jarvis Landry. He can spread that out. He can get the tendency breakers we've been talking about on the podcast use more wrinkles use more formations use more disguise in what they're doing on offense by having these different players and more versatile players can play multiple positions guys that can attack vertically as well as play close to the line of scrimmage so there is a plan in place to build around Ryan Tannehill it is all shaping up the way I had hoped it would and it's very much in the details if you pay attention close enough you might want to ignore it and say they're going to go out and get Baker Mayfield to run this new looking offense but if you look at what they've done they build around the strength to Ryan Tannehill and that is exactly what they should have been doing from the beginning back when they drafted him in 2012 because this is a guy with oozing potential he has all the upside in the world the physical ability he's getting better from the mental aspect every single year the game started to slow down for him in 2016 at the end of before he got that knee injury so he's gotten the mental reps of the last year and a half here since he got hurt He's a guy that can come back and just ascend to another level this year. I fully expect him to do that. I think the Dolphins' offense can really crank it back up, get back to 23 points per game where they were, probably even better than that this year. I'm going to imagine, I'm going to guess they're going to be more of like a top 15, top 12 offense with Ryan Tannehill pulling the trigger this year. And all they're going to have to do is, it, it puts that perspective back into place in terms of what their theory was of getting the Dolphins in a big picture, wanting to play with the lead, with their pass rushers, hoping to build a Philadelphia Eagles-type roster where they need all these pass rushers coming in waves and waves and waves at you, guys that can stay fresh, not only from a in-game standpoint, being fresh in the fourth quarter, but having these pass rushers fresh in December. Last year, we saw all those three and outs. The defense just kind of fell apart. William Hayes goes out. They can't stop the run anymore. All of a sudden, you can't rush the passer at the same level you wanted to because you're down by 20 points at halftime every game because your quarterback's turning the football over and can't hit short passes to extend drives. So get the quarterback back, get the offense back playing the way you want to, have this pass-rushing, crazy defensive end rotation, build that Eagles-like defense, and Donald Kinsu would have been the Fletcher Cox there, but now they're going to have to go ahead and find another guy to replace and Donald Kinsu and be their Fletcher Cox. And might they find that guy in the draft? We'll talk about that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winfield NFL at Locked On Fins. And despite the moves the Dolphins have made so far, there are still some holes to be filled on this roster. Five in particular that I'm looking at here in front of me on the big board. Tight end being the number one hole on the roster at this point. Linebacker also in that same mold near the top of the list. Running back number two is a big hole right now behind Kenyon Drake. Defensive tackle number two, possibly number one, depending on what type of resource you put into that. And then a dime safety. So five holes heading into the draft. And this draft class at those positions might actually be okay. Defensive tackle is a little bit weaker later on in the draft. Linebacker, eh, we'll see about that. And then the tight end class and running back class are packed, and the safety class looks pretty good in that respect too. So let's go ahead and get to my mock drafts and talk about some of these positions. I imagine the Dolphins are not quite done yet in free agency. They cleared up a lot of money today and only bought back William Hayes and are talking to Josh Sitton. So 
I'd imagine they have some more moves in place to go ahead and get those holes filled and give themselves that ultimate flexibility on draft that we've been talking about throughout the course of the offseason. They want to go into the draft with minimal holes and be able to just draft whoever they want in terms of best player available. So with that in mind, let's get into the March the 15th updated mock draft, seven-round mock draft from Travis Wingfield on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast as we sit here on day two of free agency. The first pick of the draft, or the first round pick for the Miami Dolphins, number 11, is going to be a defensive tackle. And I've been going back and forth on Vita Vea and Deron Payne, but the defensive tackle right there, hopefully a trade back and acquire more second or third round picks in the on day two of the draft where I love the value in that spot. Pretty much every year I feel that way, but this year especially more than other years. And so you get Deron Payne or Vita Vea, a guy that can give you pass rush into from the interior inside, but also a guy that can hold up in the running game. So a big body that can give you 80% of the snaps from day one, maybe 75 in that range, and get him on the field, get some production out of those guys, and get that Fletcher Cox the Dolphins need to go ahead and run this wide nine defense with an array of pass rushers from every angle on the field. Pick number two at number 42 in the second round, tight end Mark Andrews out of Oklahoma. His 4.58 40-yard dash sold me. I was worried about his speed and his ability to separate, but he can get up and go a little bit. He's a little bit tight-hipped, but he makes all the catches in the world. He's got a big frame. He can shield guys off. Would be a great target for Ryan Tannehill down in the red zone. And then this is where I got a lot of feedback from you guys. Stay on Twitter. Pick number three, round three, pick number 73, Shaquem Griffin, the linebacker out of Central Florida. I talked about the culture change that the Miami Dolphins are trying to undergo here. And just look at the buzz that surrounds that kid. I've had some people tell me that it's a it's a media darling move or just a feel-good story. Forget that nonsense, man. This guy's pass rushing prowess at college was insane. He was actually the most efficient pass rusher in college football this year. That again data via CK Para on Twitter. Chris Kaufman talking about his pass rush ability. He compiled that data himself. I don't know how he does it. The guy's a whiz, but he has that data. You can go ahead and ask him for that. But he is a stud of a pass rusher. Guys that have tried to block him will tell you that the knocks on him are complete hogwash just an absolute baller and the maybe even this is a little bit you know self-serving for the Miami Dolphins but if you get a guy like that that comes into the building and he produces at the level that he did in college or even just produces as a player on your defense as a sub package player a guy that can come in and rush the passer on the nickel defense maybe cover a little bit nickel defense like he did at UCF he is a guy that if he comes in does the right things he produces on Sundays and is there every day in that building making himself better and his teammates better how do you not look at that guy as an example and say wow I gotta step my game up that guy has the biggest disadvantage a football player could imagine outside of having no leg. He doesn't have a hand and he's out here producing. So what would that do and resonate in the entire Dolphins locker room and getting everybody to kind of pick their game up a little bit? I love Shaquem Griffin. Just absolutely, absolutely love him and what he is, both as a player and a person. Fourth round pick, number 123, safety out of Wake Forest, Jesse Bates. You guys told me I was crazy for having him in the fourth round. I tend to agree, but I went off of drafttech.com's big board and their positional rankings there, and he was still available at that pick at 123. So I took him because he's a rangy guy that can get out of his back pedal. He can spot drop. He reads routes the way a quarterback does, doesn't, doesn't wait to react to what he sees. He just plays it based on route recognition and noticing route concepts and combinations there too. So Jesse Bates, that's your dime safety. So I've given you your defensive tackle, your tight end, your linebacker, and your dime safety all in the first four picks. And here's my my last one, the fifth hole filling out the running back. Pick number 131 in the fourth round, Jalen Samuels, the do-everything Swiss Army Knife out of North Carolina State. Guy's an absolute stud. Look up some of his tape, both as a Charles Clay tight end, pass-catching type of guy, but also a wildcat trigger man, a between-the-tackles runner, just a stud of a player all around. And then around six, pick number 198, I fell in love with this guy at the combine, linebacker out of Arizona, excuse me, out of Vanderbilt. 
Oren Burks. He is a 6'3", 233-pound monster that ran a 4'6". He's a very smart kid. He played safety his first year in college, moved to outside linebacker, and then came inside and had 82 tackles and a pick as a, in his senior year as an inside linebacker. So he has all the upside in the world. Very smart kid, too. Something like a 4.0 at Vanderbilt and also created his own after-school program or whatever you want to call it, an extracurricular program where he did something with, I, I can't remember what it was, but he had he was very into his academia and, and extracurriculars too outside of football. So a very smart guy, very socially conscious guy. And then a couple of guys that I threw in there that I like myself in the seventh round, pick number 223, cornerback Devron Davis out of the University of Texas, San Antonio, a big physical corner. He's a guy that actually, he sends me some of his videos on Twitter all the time in my private message inbox talking about, hey, this is what I can do, kind of get this stuff out there. I don't know if he thinks I'm a scout or whatever, but he sends me stuff all the time. Love talking. That guy has a great mentality. Cornerback there fits the Dolphins prototype, six foot tall. I want to say 210. And then the last pick is a Washington State Coug, offensive guard, pick number 229, round seven, Cody O'Connell. They call him the continent. He is 6'8", 360, a mountain of a man who moves a lot better than you think a guy that size would, just throwing him in there for my Cougs and giving the Dolphins a developmental prospect on the offensive line there. So that's the mock draft, fills up all the holes the Dolphins have right now. And boy, I tell you, I'm really excited about this offseason. And really, aside from the Indomitian soothing, this is kind of the direction I saw them going when I predicted they would win 10 or 11 games coming up this year. So a lot more to get to on the podcast down the next couple of months. I'm trying to do five days a week for you guys during the busy times of the year, so let's keep that going. I have some Josh Sitton tape I'm going to get into right after I'm done recording this here late on a Wednesday night here on the West Coast, 9.30 my time right now. Let's go ahead and get out of here for the podcast. I'll do it for this episode of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. And check out the other Lockdown Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Lockdown Fins. And follow our flagship show on Twitter as well as Facebook. That's at Lockdown NFL. And check out LockdownDolphins.com for your daily news and commentary pieces every single day. Be back tomorrow with another Another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football.